Amen. Good morning and welcome here to Grace Life Church here in Jemison. We welcome those of you watching this live by broadcast. We are excited about today. Amen. <clears throat> we're in March and we're, we're throwing the winter off. It, it wants to stay here with us, but we're throwing it off. And we, we changed uh, time today, so uh, everyone did just right. I don't know how you did it, but you did just right. I always said, you know, when it's falling back, that one, that one's easy. But when you got to spring forward, you know, that somewhere, somewhere it takes an hour there somewhere. But uh, we'll, <coughs> we'll get rested up. Just don't do it right here. Uh, wait till you get home and then get rested up. So, well, I came to church and I'm going to get my hour back right here. Well, I no, I don't do that. Don't do that. <clears throat> I went to lay down last night and I, and I was thinking about, you know, what, what was going on today. And he said, do you know that you're not through? And I said, I'm not. He says, no. And I wrote, he said, he said a lot of things. And I just, I said, please, I, Lord, I, I don't do dictation and I can only write so fast. And uh, so I thought, I thought I was through. He says, no, you're not through. He says, you, <clears throat> you, you just barely got your title. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Well, Second Timothy, verse one, chapter seven, if you're going to follow us around or you're making references to the scripture, which is always good. And if we're going to give it a title today, I'm going to, we're going to call it Living Fearlessly. And I'm going to minister something along these lines all the way up to the summit meetings uh, that Michelle was talked about. Uh, Pastor Randy and uh, Mary was here about three or four years ago, three years ago when they ministered. And at the end of that service, I had actually a word for them. And uh, they were doing uh, traveling and uh, they uh, have pastored. Uh, they have pastored uh, and now are pastoring now. Restoration Church, but I, they were doing traveling. I said, the Lord's going to take your, uh, this, a message that you have around the world and you're going to go to places and preach it. And then out of just nowhere, I said, and you and I are going to preach somewhere or at places, you know, diff different than uh, from time to time than what we're used to. Well, three or four years come forward and we, we had an experience together in the mountains and uh, we went to a place and it actually was called the Summit. And um, so it's the most exclusive neighborhood in the uh, Sevierville, Pigeon, probably anywhere around there. And uh, I just kind of found it three or four years ago, just out riding, looking around, you know, and um, had my mother with me at the time. And she was just looking at it. And she was just like, can we just stop and just sit here a while? So we did. And uh, it was it was a lot to behold and to take in. But we had an and So we were kind of in the mountains with them. Uh, they were already there seeing family and we were headed there. And they just kind of, we got together one day and, and uh, before they went back and did some riding, I said, I'd like to show you a place. I, th I think I can take us to it. And I, and I did, I, I got almost to the place and it, it was, it, I mean, it was beautiful, but it's like, this can't really be it. I mean, it's just like, really? I mean, can the brush grow up that much in six years? You know, and, and because there's places that on the summit that, that you can look at all Pigeon Forge, you can see all Sevierville and you can see Gatlinburg at one place. And uh, so people are now building homes in there, but you know you can't you can't build any kind of home. You know it's it's got to be a real home home. So if you don't have a million dollars, you don't even don't even look in the neighborhood to buy the to buy the lot and the land. So um, anyway, we, uh, we we was going up this we was going up the place that I thought it was. And it, it just didn't look that familiar. So I kept on going up and up, and it was nice and it was pretty. And uh, I said I just don't think this is it. So I said. So let's go back down the mountain. I said, you sure you all got just a little bit? He said, oh yeah, go ahead, do what you want to. So we, we got down off the mountain and I turned right and I go, I went one tenth of a mile. 
one-tenth. That's how close it was. And it said the summit. I said, that's it, the summit. That, that's what it is. So we drove up there, and we just laughed about it and talked about it. Look, look how close you could be. I mean, that was nice. There's no doubt that was nice. But look at this. Man, one-tenth of a mile from here to here and what the difference is. And sometimes you could be like one-tenth, and it'd be good, but it'd not be great. It'd be wonderful, but there's more. And that's what these meetings for about the summit is for people who want to go to another place. We're not here to have church. Matter of fact, it won't even be set up as church. These chairs will be, will be it'll become tables and chairs, and you'll have um, you know things to write with will be given and all that. So it's just this. Uh, we did one in Mentone uh, there, and this will be our second one. And so we're going to continuously do these meetings, and we're going to build teams with people who want to be a part of a team. Not this is not going to be. Uh, to the place to one day you just come like on Sunday morning and I minister and you listen and I talk and you take notes. This is going to be a place to where you, well, one day we participate and you can be part of a team if you want to be part of a team. So that'll be Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night as, as uh, we were announced earlier. But to do that, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to get a little jump started on these meetings and I'm going to talk about living fiercely again. And 2 Timothy 1.7 is, is a scripture that we're all familiar with it. And it says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. How many of you ever heard that verse before? Yeah. I mean, is anyone here has never heard that verse before? But here, here, here's the danger in having heard that verse before or any verse. Or here's the danger of hearing someone minister that you've become very familiar with. That happens to all of us. We come to know people. We know, we know their, what they're going to sometimes, their, their personality, their mannerisms, what the, you know, how, they, how they do this and they do that. And sometimes we become so familiar with an individual or become so familiar with uh, scriptures that we, we, we love the word, but we just become too familiar with it. And, uh, and there's a danger in that. And the danger is this, that some, uh, the familiar means that we quit noticing things. People can become very familiar in their marriage, then they quit noticing. And so, uh, in many things, so familiarity means we quit noticing things. Something becomes commonplace. It also means something becomes ordinary. When when there's a familiarity uh, in the house, you begin to take things for granted. Familiarity is the greatest block. To the anointing, I think the greatest block to receiving the power of God working in your life because familiarity it neutralizes it, it neutralizes everything because of the spirit of familiarity. Now, and we'll get back to a little side note. You know this is true because of Mark chapter six and uh, verses one, three, uh, I guess through five. He said he went and to about Jesus. He went from thence and he came into his own country. And his disciple followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hear him were astonished, saying, From what hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? But then they said this, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And they were offended at him. To my Jesus. And he, Jesus, could not do any mighty work Save you laid his hands upon a few sick folks and heal them. What was the problem? Familiarity. They knew who he was. They knew his family. They knew the profession of his family. They said, how could someone who I know is the son of a carpenter, Mary and Joseph's son, 
How could he do these mighty works? Because we know who he is. We know where he came from. He's no better than us. And so uh, <clears throat> uh, that's, what, that's the danger of becoming familiar with something. So even though you may know a scripture, you may know some things about it, we haven't, we haven't squeezed quite the ju all the juice that's, that's in the word. That's in, that's in one scripture. So <clears throat> we're going to talk about fear for just a moment because he said he didn't give you a spirit of fear. Someone said, I don't have any problem with fear. Well, that's good. But you might have some natural fear. In other words, if I threw down a, uh, a cotton mouse snake, I would sack right at your feet. You, 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 you may take notice. A water moccasin. I don't mean a chicken snake. I'm talking about something that bites and lets you know it bit you. How many have a strong dislike for snakes, poisonous snakes? You know, that just wouldn't be a good way to go out of here, would it? Best way would just, you know, have be, every, everyone's in great fellowship. You know you're going to go to heaven. You're sitting home at night. You have a bowl of ice cream. You go to sleep and wake up in heaven. I mean, it, it just couldn't be no better than that. <laughs> That's a, lot, that's a lot better than going a bit by a moccasin. So we want to come to a place to where we understand that there, because fear, the spirit of fear is not natural. Sometimes we, 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 we don't give it the attention that we should, and we don't deal with, with fear the way we should, because we think it's just natural to have fear. Where there actually is a godly fear, and there actually is a natural fear that we need to pay attention to. In other words, you know, you just don't want to park your car on a railroad track and leave it for the day. Nor would you want to sit there on the track or lay down and get a little sun rays. That'd just be a common sense fear, wouldn't it? Uh, of knowing, you know, that would take your life. So, but fear does not originate with God at all. Not whatsoever. And I know he's not taking credit for it. He's because he's not responsible for it. But he gave us power, love, and a sound mind. And there's many definitions you could give this, but power really is the, I'm going to call it the ability to get the job done. God gave you the ability to do whatever you need to do. Because you don't have fear, but you have power. And you have love. How many know the love of God, the agape love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by who? By Holy Spirit himself. And then we have a sound mind. You ought to speak that over yourself all the time. I have a sound mind. You have a mind that's stable. You have a healthy mind. You have a mind that's at peace with God. Hmm? Isaiah said it's peace to, peace to whose mind is stayed on him. Amen. So <clears throat> there is a, like I said, there is a, a natural fear of just understanding, you know, there's a yellow line on the road out there where t cars can travel and pass each other. And that yellow line tells you your side. And it tells you when not to pass. Some people haven't paid no attention to it. Even though the line is, is clearly marked, they have paid no attention to it. But in order to, to live a fearless life, then we got to recognize that fear is not just natural. It, it is the spirit of fear. Now you know this, this is so simple because watch familiarity. The, the spirit. Fear is a spirit. Now, we have, now there's Holy Spirit, but there's also un, uh, unholy spirit. Right? Well, Satan would be an unholy spirit. Well, the spirit of fear is a demonic spirit, a, a, a class of a demon. And all that demon does is just manifest what it is. Hmm? 
There's all type of demons. But a, but, but a fearful demon would be, would be the spirit of fear. And he's, and he's simply manifesting what he is. It's not necessarily even your fear, it's his. He just wants you to feel his fear. Hmm? And people tolerate it because they think it's natural. And so, but it's not okay. Not even a little bit of it. So when you, you feel fear begin to rise up, you need to deal with it and you need to cast it away from you right away. Amen. Uh, but he said, but we have, we have, we have joy or we have the sound mind, but we have power and love. Love's the most powerful force there is. So I so, so what's, what's protecting me from, from the enemy? Is it, is it the power of God? It, it is the power of God, but the power of God is motivated by the love of God. Even under the even under the old covenant or Job, remember where Satan came up and he says, "I bet you if you let me get his, my hand on Job, I bet he'd curse you. If I could take away all these blessings that you blessed him with, and you and and I, and I could just strip this 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 guy bare, I bet you he'd turn his mouth and curse you." And of course, Job had opened up his whole life because he opened up the, his place to the enemy because of fear, didn't he? He was making sacrifices. He was afraid because his sons weren't living as they should live, and they were living in sin. He was afraid what was going to happen. So Job started making all kinds of sacrifices. Then when he opened that door, uh, because of fear, Satan took advantage of him. And then Job said, the thing that I have feared the most has now become my life. He opened up the door. Well, we don't have to open the door. Fear may come. Fear may, may not, but we don't have to say, hello, come on in, grab a seat. No, we can cast it out. God didn't give it to us. Didn't originate with him. It's not his. Spirit of fear. Let that spirit keep what it is. It doesn't have to manifest to you. About anything. Well, if this don't get better. Well, where, where would you get a thought like if this don't get better? What scripture did you recently? If this don't get better, it's going to be worse. You look it in your Bible. If you pray, but, but if God can't help you, it gets worse. Well, that's not a scripture, is it? But those are feelings, those are emotions, those, those things that your body and your mind tells you all the time. People tell you that or have a conversation like that or some form of it with you all the time. But we don't live in that because we live in the love of God. Go to 1 John chapter 4, or you can just listen. I'm going to be in the Passion Translation. I don't know what you have, but do the best you can. Or they may have it up on screen. I'm going to read verse 7. I'll skip, I'll skip a few verses here and there for time. Uh, <clears throat> but verse 7, the subtopic of verse 7, the passage, it says, God is love. And in verse 7, it says, those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. Not a head knowledge, but an intimate knowledge. Amen. See, a lot of people have knowledge of the word and scriptures, and they have a, <clears throat> they have a cerebral type uh, uh, relationship with God, but it's not, it's not on the intimate level. God wants you to have an intimate relationship with him. Now it says in verse 8, the one who doesn't love has not yet to know God, for God is love. And the light of God's love shined within us when we saw his matchless, whoo, here we go, son into the world, so which so that we might live, we might live through him. So 
we might live through him, or you could say that he might live through us. Now, verse 10 says, that is love. That is love. What is? Well, he's going to tell us right now. Here, here's what love is. Definition. He loved us long before we loved him. Hmm? The Lord loved you long before you loved him. Long, long, long. He loved us so much. And it was his love, not ours. He proved this love by sending his son to be a pleasing sacrificial offering to take away sins. Verse 12, skip verse 11. Verse 12 says, no one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. But if we love one another, God makes his permanent home in us. And we make our permanent home in him. And his love is brought to this full expression in us. Verse 13. And he has given us his spirit within us so that we can have the assurance that he lives in us and that we live in him. Verse 15. It says, those who give thanks that Jesus is the son of God lives in God and God lives in them. Verse 16. We have come into an intimate experience with God's love and we trust in the love that he has for us. Here's the intimate experience. We ex he wants you to experience this love. Not know about it. Know it by experience. God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God and God lives through them. Verse 17. By living in God, love has been brought to its fullest expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment. Because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. You know how strong that verse is? All that Jesus is, now, so are we in this world. Not, not in heaven, now. All that Jesus is right now, so are we right now in this earth. Hmm. What will that do to fear? Look at verse 18. Love seldom. Oh, excuse me. Some, of them, some people might have been okay with seldom. But love never, the love of God in you, it never brings fear. Huh. For fear is always related to punishment. Well, we know it's not a God. Fear is related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from your hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has never reached God's love perfection. Your love for others is our grateful response to the love of God first demonstrated to us. Now I want to go back to verse 17 and, I, and I'm going to read the footnote um, in the translation, in the um, Passion Translation. Verse 17, um, this, is the, this is the footnote, this is not the scripture. It says the Aramaic can be translated, we will have open faces on the day of judgment. For the true believer filled with God's love, the day of judgment, if you will take that down because they're, they're watching that, and this is not what I'm reading. This is the Aramaic. This is the footnote of that scripture. The Aramaic can be translated, we will have open faces on the day of judgment. For the true believer filled with God's love, the day of judgment is not to be feared. The day of judgment is not to be feared. For the believer, the day of judgment is not to be feared, but to be looked forward to. I mean, I don't know. I just grew up in a church. 
And I just thought, well, I don't know, I just thought we got to heaven. We got to talk to God about every sin that we ever, and I, and I knew there was going to be a big screen. Everybody's going to see it. And I knew my mother was going to be standing right there. And I was going to be in trouble again, just like I was a little boy. To the believer, uh, to a believer, when you get to heaven, you're never judged for sin. Because Jesus already judged your sin. Isn't that good news? Yeah. I see you become familiar with that. That's why there was hardly any amens. To the believer. I, I told a Christian this last week and they said, what? I never knew that. I thought we had to. He said, well, I, I, I knew that when this person said, I knew when we went to heaven and, you know, while there was seven years on earth of tribulation that we would, you know, have the marriage supper of the lamb and then we would go, to, you know, be judged. I said, no, no, you'll go to the reward seat. The, uh, the reward seat and the bema seat is the same thing. So when Jesus comes, we're going to meet him in the air. There'll be seven years of tribulation on the earth. But we'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then during the seven years, you'll also be rewarded for everything that you did that was good and right and just on the earth with the right motive. It's got to have the right motive, because if it ain't got the right motive, even though it's good, he said that if it's wood, hay, or stubble, it'll burn up in the fire. But that which is left to remain, you'll be rewarded forever for it. It's like you get a bonus for doing something, but not in heaven. Heaven rewards you for eternity for something that you did one time, maybe. Isn't that a good deal? You say, what's this for? Oh, that was back in 1974. Well, Lord, you've been blessing me that for 200,000 years now. Ah, oh, we just get started. <laughs> Amen. Now you, you, but now we do give an account, you understand? When we get to the judgment seat, we do give an account. But the, the account that you're going to give is you're here for on purpose, like my wife was saying. You, you, you're here on purpose, with purpose. And God has a book with your name on it. He's going to open the book and say, this is what I've made you for, created you for. And then he's going, to, he's going to look at your life in that book to see if they match. And then we will answer for the things, why they don't match. Because we have the ability to do them right now. To know what the will of God is and do it in his ability. Amen. But you're not there judged for sin because Jesus was, has already been punished for all your sin. Isn't that good news? That you're going to go to the reward seat. The, the, the Bema seat. Glory to God. I think that's good news myself. I don't know what y'all do with it, but anyway, I, I think it's really good news. Now, it says right, so it says right here, and because we are, it says because we are what he is in the world, because we are right now as a believer what he is in this world. It says the verb tense is important because we are not like Jesus was, but because of grace, we are like he is now, which is pure, holy, seated in heaven and glorified. Faith has transferred his righteousness to us. That, that OK, we all that from, uh, sitting there right in their seat. He says, uh, he said, you're just like I am uh, just right now because of grace. He said, you're pure, you're holy. And far as I'm concerned, you're seated with me in heavenly places. My, your faith in me has transferred my righteousness to you. What a transfer. Glory to God. Well, you have to get that by faith, don't you? That's what faith does. It believes. But now we know we won't go to Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is your positive response. Someone say positive. positive. It's a positive response to what God, by his grace, has made available to you. Faith is not trying to receive from God something that hasn't happened. Faith is you responding positively, positively in a positive way 
to what God has already supplied to you by grace. Fear, on the other hand, is a negative response to what Satan or the world has made available. Faith versus fear. So you can be responsible, say like, you know, with all we've been through with COVID and all this kind of stuff, you could be responsible to wash your hands. Nothing wrong with that, is it? To be responsible to wash your hands, but not motivated by fear to wash your hands. Hmm. I've met a lot of Christians in the last two or three years who have more confidence in someone to, to give them a, a sickness a virus more than they believe that they can transfer the Christ in them to someone else. You know, Paul, Paul was shipwrecked. So he said, we, we shouldn't be on the ship. If you'd listen, we, <clears throat> we wouldn't be in the storm, but we are. But the angel came, remember, and spoke a word. And he says, <clears throat> no man's life will, you know, will be lost, but the ship's going to be lost. And, uh, and it did. The storm came. and, it just, and they all, I think they all grabbed a piece of a lumber and they all drifted off and they got to the island, built a fire and the natives that was there and, they, and Paul reached down to get some wood to, and, and he had a venomous snake bite him. And I mean, it was the most deadly kind, whatever it is. And they all was like, because, you know, you, you're, you're there like you got seconds or a minute or two, you're dead. But Paul just shook it off because he already had a promise that, that nothing shall by any means hurt you. He, he, he knew the Great Commission. You know, that, that if, uh, if you were to accidentally have to do what he was doing, take up a snake. Now, these are not, I don't know, I've never met a church that does this. I heard they exist, and I'm sure they do exist. Churches that handle snakes. Uh, and I, I guess to prove that God's with them. Well, I've watched a few YouTube videos years ago, and I watched a few people handle them, and it, it didn't prove it. The snake proved to be more fatal. I don't know. I wouldn't go to that church, I don't think. To be a membership, you know, be a member, you may have to have them crawling all over you. And, you know, if you're in faith, it won't bite you. I got faith in Smith and Wesson. If I see it, it's dead. <laughs> Amen. Well, so that's, that's, our, that's our positive response. Faith is the negative response to what Satan has done. And uh, so we should respond this way to all of God's promises. For example, a promise that he healed, he healed you. But when did he heal you? Well, in, in, according to the word in his mind, he, he, believe, he believes, he really believes he healed you 2,000 years ago when he went to the cross and went to the whipping post. That's what he did. What, what would be your proper response? It would be a positive response, right? I'd be, I'd be responding to him. You say, well, I'm trying to get God to heal me. He's not going to do anything else about healing you. What else would he do? Now, how do we know that he, he healed us? Well, we go to the Word. We go, we go to the book of Isaiah, right? And it tells us that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of, of, of our peace was upon him. By his stripes ye were healed. Were, I think, is past tense. And then if you go over to 1 Peter chapter 2, 24, it said, Who his own self bore, you know, <clears throat> bore our sins on his body on the tree that we be in dead sins to live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were. So Peter's pointing back to the cross. Isaiah is telling you before, before, Jesus, before Jesus even comes to the earth as a prophet, he's prophesying what Jesus is going to do. So, our, so faith would properly respond to what Jesus has already done and then align your, your thinking and your words and your mouth with what is actually currently happening right now. Amen.
So that would be our response. You could say, well, he delivered me 2,000 years ago and I've been delivered. That would be your proper response. But the spirit of fear wants me to respond in the, in the now to the negative circumstances. It wants you to, to see about that. It wants you to hear about the craziness in the world. We're, we're, we're living in end time, the very end of the end times. We have wars. There's been rumor wars. Now we have wars. We've always had wars and rumor wars. You can say, well, that's been going on forever, and it has. But we're in war right now. You know, right, it, 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 when the battle when we, uh, of Armageddon, you know, you, you know who's at the front of that? When now that ends, it's Russia. Russia and Iran and, and three, Turkey uh, will be the main, you know, uh, three countries will be a part of that that one day will attempt to attack Israel. Russia will. They'll be at the head of it, along with Turkey and Iran. That's when we'll come back from heaven for seven years. And they'll be right at Israel's doors to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, but it'll never happen. How can God protect little bitty Israel? It looks like you could just run over them with everything. I mean, Israel's not a very large place, but no one, no one is ever going to be able to defeat Israel. But it'll look like they are when we come back after seven years with Jesus on a white horse. They'll be, I mean, every missile, everything will be aimed right at Israel. They're about to wipe them off the face of the earth and, and Jesus is going to say, not so. He says, me and my body's coming back with me. Not going to be much of a war. It's going to be a war, but not much of one. Jesus, it says, it says with, the, with the fire in his eyes and the blast of, uh, 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 from his nostrils and the fire comes out of his mouth, he'll, he'll obliterate the army. Just, just, he never gets off the horse to do it. We got all kind of tech, you know, thing, and I'm glad that we have them. We got all kind of technology that can shoot down bombs and missiles and all this kind of stuff. Jesus doesn't need any of that. He, he's going to destroy the whole army all, all, just off his horse. Never, never get off. Never take the bridle off. He just, the war be over and he'll say, giddy up. <laughs> Amen. Nothing to be afraid of, is it? For the believer, as these times draw near, no matter what's happened, it, 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 it's a time of rejoicing. He says, for y'all, your redemption, what you've been waiting for, it's getting near to you now. It's getting nearer and nearer, closer and closer. Amen. If you're not a believer, you ought to be afraid. But you don't have to be. If you ought to believe, you ought to be a one. You ought to, you ought to receive Jesus right now as your Lord and Savior. Amen. So the spirit of fear wants me to respond to the negative circumstances in my life or the craziness going on in the world. But faith demands a response also. Faith said, God said it. I believe it. Bless God, that settles it. That's my positive response to whatever's going on. God said it. I believe it. Settled. You know, the book of Psalms it says the word of God is forever settled on heaven and earth. Forever settled. Can't change it. God doesn't change. Well, I'm trying to believe. Let's stop that. My <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm trying to believe God. Well, are you or not? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and believe I'm a man. You think I'm going to waste my time trying to believe that today? That I'll wake up tomorrow and be who I am? No more than you will, right? Huh? Well, if you're born again, you're a believer. 
Why wouldn't you believe the promise if you're a believer? Easiest thing for a believer to do is believe. Easiest thing for a doubter to do is doubt. Easiest thing for a drug addict to do is take drugs. Easiest thing for a painter to do is paint. Hmm? Easiest thing for a beaver to do is chuck wood. I mean, how much wood would a woodchuck chuck? Well, the woodchuck could chuck wood. No, not quite clear enough, but anyway. Believers believe, right? Believers believe. John 6, 47 said, Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath. He that believes on me hath. Are you a hather? Don't look that up in the dictionary. You can't find it. <laughs> it's okay. I'm in, I'm in Alabama. I can do this. He that, believer, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I mean, when you go to a traffic light, it has three colors. Let's start off positive. What color is positive? Green. What's the next one? Yellow. What's the next one? Red. What's our positive response when you go to a red light? Does it have a definite meaning? What's the definite meaning to red? But what if you're in a hurry? What does it mean? But what if I'm really in a hurry? What does it mean? What would be your positive response? Y'all are so good. Y'all are so easy. <laughs> but, but fear tried to get you around that somehow. And I met some people who, who went around. And then they got wrapped around something. Hmm? Fear contaminates faith. That's what it wants to do. I, 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 let me say it this way. Do never, 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 never allow what you may see with your eyes or you feel in your emotions change what you believe to be true in your heart. Don't let your physical eyes or your emotions change what you know to be true in your heart because Jesus is greater. Say that with me. Jesus. Jesus. Now let's stop that. Go back. Say, my Jesus, my Jesus. is greater. Is, greater. is he greater? Yes. Well, that's what 1 John 4 says. Your Jesus is, is greater is he who is in you. Who is he that's in you than he that's in the world? He said he's greater than. So it's very important to be established in this truth. Now, see, that's a familiar scripture. Very familiar. But don't let it become familiar to you because then it'll lose its importance to you. Because you're, you're in a situation. You say, well, I, I don't, well what am I going to do? And just that one scripture right there get you out of it. Greater is he that's in me. He's in the world. But you don't know what's going on. I said, but you didn't listen to what I said. Greater is, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Oh, but the doctor said, doctor who? Practitioner who? Huh? <laughs> Jesus is the great physician. He is my healer. Glory to God. I mean, I mean, those the devil's a defeated foe. Amen. Defeated. Amen. Defeated foe. How you know the Isaiah 54, 17 says no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Now, he didn't say no weapon wouldn't be formed. He just said that when the weapon is formed, it won't prosper. Amen. Amen. Not going to prosper. In other words, you, you, you're going to face challenges. You're going to have times where the enemy tries to attack you, but you need to have confidence and certainty that it will not prosper. Why? Because you are the righteous of God. That is your heritage. You are right with God. You are right with God. I didn't say the mayor. I didn't say the governor. I didn't say the president. I said, <clears throat> I said you are right with God. Amen. You might be wrong with your neighbor and your brother-in-law and your mother-in-law, but you're right with God if you believe Jesus. Amen. Amen. And they'll come along. Praise God. So he protects us and provides for us 
because he is your righteousness. The Lord made Jesus to be your righteousness. So when these thoughts come, you got to deal with strongholds. You got to deal with thoughts and imaginations. Hmm. Scripture says pulling down strongholds. Why? Because there's a battle for your mind. There's a battle. There's a battle ongoing, waging war against your mind. And this, this battle is not fought externally. Uh-uh. It's not fought externally. The battle is not just in the mind. The battle is for your mind. The, the devil sees your mind as real estate and he wants to possess it. It's not just a battle going on in the mind. He's battling for your mind. He wants to take over your mind. He wants it to become his real estate. Not so, devil. Isn't it funny? It's kind of a, you know, I'm not trying to say this is exactly what it means, but just interesting that Jesus was crucified at a place called Golgotha, wasn't he? You know what Golgotha means? It means the skull, the mind. I don't know. Maybe that's a crossover. Jesus was crucified in a place that has to do with the skull and the mind. So your breakthrough has to begin through the mind. Because in your spirit being, there's nothing, you, you, you don't need a breakthrough in your spirit, you're born again. When you receive Jesus in your life, your spirit, one third of you is, to, is totally, completely just like God. One third of you. Because your spirit, you, ha, you, you have a soul, which is your mind, right? Your will and your emotions. And you know what your body is. But in your, in, your, in your spirit, where you're truly born again, that's where you're an you're, you're exact match of Jesus Christ. His righteousness and your righteousness are the same. Jesus has no more righteousness in him than you got in your spirit right now. When you get to heaven, you can't, you can't even get an upgrade on your righteousness. And I learned that 20 years ago. I like to fell out of the chair. I was 25 years ago, whenever it was, 30 years ago, or whatever it was, when I went to Ramah. I was sitting in the chair and I was taking a class on righteousness. They said, you'll never be any more righteous in heaven than you are right now. I looked at my wife and said, what do you say? <laughs> I guess there was a bunch of us in there. He said, you'll never be any more righteous than when you get to heaven than you are now. And I thought, man, this can't be in the Bible. It was just everywhere in the Bible. I just never saw it. Because on Sunday they were pointing out to me, have y'all been good this week? Well, you heard some of y'all were down at so-and-so. Church be... Church became about doing good and being a little better. Did a little better than he did last week. Lord, just help us live for you. He don't do that. Lord, just help me, help, <clears throat> help me live a better life. He don't do that. Lord, just, just help me get charged up. So if I can get charged up good enough, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to live for you in a more productive way. He's not into charging. Why would he want to charge anything if he's the power plant? Lord, don't charge things up. Sometimes I'll fool with the grandkids. We'll go by the, on the way home, you know, to our house. To, that power company's got the whatever you call the little plant over there, you know, where the, that serves the community. Of course, it's got a big fence, high voltage. And I said, y'all want to go play in the playground? And not, no, Pop, we're not going to play. I said, said, change your whole life. <laughs> Be a shocking experience. Well, Pulling down strongholds. Second Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we, we don't war according to the flesh. For, for the weapons are, that you're going to fight with, they're not carnal weapons. You're not going to fight the enemy with a pistol, a bow and arrow, a machete, or anything. You're going to say, well, I got my black belt karate. You think the devil cares about your black belt? 
He'll have you dead in 2.3 seconds. Now, I'm sorry about a point, point oh of a second. If you come at the devil, you're going to fight him and say, well, I've been building myself up in God. I've been charging, charging, charging. I'm ready for the devil. He'll uncharge you in a half of a second. You'll be gone forever. You come to the devil, I'll say, in me, in you. Don't, don't come to the devil in you. Come in him. In him. So he tells you that even though that you're walking this life in the flesh, you don't war according to the flesh. For your weapons are not carnal, but your weapons that he's given you are supernatural. They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds cannot be destroyed by physical weapons, but by rightly dividing the word of truth. Satan cannot. He cannot. He'll resist it every way he can. He'll spin it every way he can. He'll make it look this way and that way. But he knows when you know the truth and you stand on the truth, he doesn't even have a way in. It's not about him winning. He can't win. All he wants, he's waiting for is you to operate in the mind of you. But who are you? You're Jesus on the earth. You're Jesus with skin on, aren't you? Satan is attempting to make inroads through our perverted imagination. These imaginations, they deceive you into every lie, distraction to, to form, or it comes from his doctrine. See, Satan has a doctrine too. The scripture says, talking about doctrine of devils. Why? To change your perception from the truth of your identity away from God's image and likeness of who you've been created into a false perception of who, uh, of who you are in Christ. Not seeing yourself as you are in Christ. A false perception. What, what am I going to do with these things? He said, pull down every stronghold, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience to Christ. Now I'm going to slow down a little bit. This is going to be some revelation. If you're here, if you've got ears to hear. It's simple. We know it, but sometimes we're still work related and we, 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 we work things out. Instead of becoming, we become occupied with ourselves instead of occupied with Jesus. As a believer, this is my, I wrote this down, this, uh, uh, which is, this was my thoughts yesterday. When I've been reading these scriptures and what it showed me, because I know important how it is about thoughts in the mind and what happens if you don't deal with them. But, you know, you, you can go on the Internet and you can find all kind of answers. This is, <laughs> how many thoughts does a human have a day, a person? Some say 60 or 70,000. I looked at some like, through the years, looked at some yesterday, so that was a way over calculation. Most people agree that most of us have 6,000 6, to 6,200 thoughts a day, whether you realize or not. Well, if I got to analyze every thought, how many think out of 6,200, some of them might be negative? <laughs> if the enemy's awake and he's anywhere near your neighborhood, how many think out of 6,200, at least three of them might be negative? Y'all, we're here or not? I mean, it could be, right? Could be. So, so I, uh, I have tried to bring every thought in captivity, but I fail miserably. That's a lot of time to deal with every thought. So we're... <clears throat> with, with over 6,000 thoughts. And then the Holy Spirit gave me this. Some back in, the, and he said, focus on this. He said, keep your focus on the correct part of that verse. And I said, well, I don't understand. I said, well, I'm casting down these thoughts and imaginations, but 
I mean, how do I keep up with that many thoughts every day? And, 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 and he, says, what, he says, what you've done, what you're doing right now, and you don't even realize it, is you're doing battle with thoughts. He said, did I tell you to do battle with thoughts? I said, yes. He says, did I? I said, and when he said that, I, I didn't want to answer. I mean, I've learned a little bit. I said, obviously not. So I went back and I, I, I reread it. And it sounded like I like did. He says, pull down every stronghold, cast it down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. He said, where are you bringing it to? And I said, the obedience of Christ. He says, <clears throat> where's that? Where, where are you in his obedience? He says, it, does it say the, the obedience of you and Christ? I said, no, sir. He said, does it say the obedience of Eric? I said, no, sir. He said, whose obedience is it? He said, Christ. He said, so bring all those thoughts to his obedience, not yours. Amen. He said, you want to preach grace? Keep on doing it. Because now you go from being absorbed, self-absorbed with me, occupied with me, instead occupied with him. So when I have all these thoughts, a lot of times you have these thoughts and fear comes in or all these thoughts come and, 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 and we, we've all had some thoughts. We won't talk about them. It's just crazy stuff. Just crazy stuff. And uh, the thing is, that they're not even your thoughts. They're his thoughts. Just like the spirit of fear. That's not your fear. That's his. If, if someone had a lying spirit, guess what that spirit does? It, there you go. It lies. <laughs> hmm? I mean, when you look at Judas who portrayed Jesus, I mean, it was, it was important that the Holy Spirit want that that part be put into the scripture. This is the thought of betrayal came from Satan. It was put in Judas's mind, but then Judas acted on that spirit's thoughts. It was the spirit's thought. That was the plan. It wasn't Judas's thoughts, but see, he left himself open to that. He didn't have to, he didn't have to betray Jesus. Well, he, he became open and he listened to the thoughts and the, the impressions and his emotions and all, all the gamut of all the things that was going on in his life. And he acted on those thoughts. No one ever thought about getting up in the morning and robbing a bank. And that'd be the first thought that they had and said, well, let's go. <clears throat> We've all watched a program somewhere on TV before where someone robbed a bank. You know, in the Westerns, they all robbing banks. Sometimes they got away with it, and sometimes they didn't. Jesse James got away with it for a long time, but the end he didn't. Bonnie and Clyde, they lived the life what? Together, and, but finally they what? All right, they died. Well, they were thinking on something that wasn't true. I said, well, Lord, I've been trying to deal with all these thoughts. I got this over here, and I'm dealing with this over here, and I'm trying to cast down all these thoughts. So he says, so you're resting with the thoughts. And I says, well, I'm, 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 I'm here to defeat the thoughts. He says, how do you do that? I said, I cast them down, every high thing. He said, to what? I, it, it was all over me, but, but I wasn't doing it. He said, you're supposed to bring him to, to his, the obedience of my son, not yours. He said, that'll put you in a place of rest. Bring your thoughts to his obedience, not yours. My job is not to shoot down every missile. My, my mind just directed to say, oh, we're that away. To the obedience of Christ. He said, keep your focus on the obedience of Christ, which will be the most powerful way to pull down every demonic stronghold in your mind. 
If it's up to me, you see, to capture every thought that crosses my mind and make you beat to Christ, then I'm going to fail miserably. So the legalistic, a legalistic teaching would be places the demand on me to deal with those thoughts. But grace teaches us how to, uh, how to focus on what Christ has already done and what he's still doing today. He said, well, I need some scriptures on that. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I happen to have one right here. Romans 5, 19 says, for by one, man, by one man's obedience. Excuse me, let me back up. By one man's disobedience. Many were made sinners. Who's that man? Adam. By Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners. Did, did Adam disobey God? And the whole human race fell, right? Separated from God. Did you, did you do it? Was you there in the garden? But, but Adam is the federal head of all humans. But because of Adam's treason, we all failed. We were separated from God. You say, well, that's not fair. Oh, I'm not through reading. But by one man's obedience, many are now made righteous. One man's disobedience says you're fallen. But one man's, by one man's obedience, who's the other man? By his obedience, you're righteous. Notice he didn't say, by his obedience, and you're you doing the best you can. Try a little harder. Start over this year. New Year's resolution. I'm going to try to do more, be better. Hmm. Adam's disobedience will make you sin conscious. It'll make you judgment conscious. But Jesus' obedience will make you forgiveness conscious. You'll forgive yourself and you'll forgive other people. It'll make you righteous conscious. If you're occupied on him, not on yourself. Because see, under the old covenant, under the old covenant, all obedience was, obedience was the root of all your blessings. If, it, it, under the old covenant, if you kept the law, you were blessed. And if you wasn't, you was cursed. But in the new covenant, the new covenant of grace, God blesses you first on the front end because of Christ's obedience. Isn't that good news? So what are we going to do? Well, we focus on him and not sin. This is where he said, I went through last night, so I'll pick up quickly. A Christian, listen closely. A Christian does not experience victory by charging themselves up for Jesus. Through much prayer and Bible reading plans and fasting and witness and such and such. Because the Christian life is the exchange life. You exchange your life for his life. The only one, see if this even makes sense to, see if this makes sense to your mind. If it does, I know your spirit got it. The Christian life is the exchange life. You exchange your life for his, true? Listen, the only person who can successfully live a Christ life is Christ. How can you live a successful Christ life without Christ? With Christ, you have a successful life. Because now you're allowing him to express his life through you. When we do that, then we can experience continuous victory over fear, lack, disease, sickness, temptation, whatever it is. 
Here's the moment. I want you to listen to this. Christ did not give us victory. He didn't. Instead, Christ is your victory. It's the Christ life. He didn't give you the victory. He is your victory. See, what, what, what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm trying to take us completely out of the equation. You're blessed. Yeah, well, because of him. I'm healed. Yeah, because of him. I got so-and-so healed. Yeah, because why would you get? Because it's, it's Christ in me. Just, he flows in, flows out. You're, you're, you're just like the conduit. I mean, we got, a, we got a meter box. We got two of them. And they're hooked up. And the power company's got us all hooked up. But ab ab above the ceiling, if you went up there, you're going to see a bunch of conduit. If you go into the conduit, you're going to find some wires. If you want to snip into the wires, you can. But you're probably going to know that you did. Because you're going to meet it with some raw power. It's going to stay and you're going to come down. Because it will, it will overpower you. Well, but harnessed is blessedness. We have lights, we have heat, we have air, we have whatever we need. The, 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 the room's illuminated, we have electricity, we're, we're broadcasting. But unharnessed, it, it will kill you. The only way that you can live a Christ life is through Christ. The Lord does not take your good works and to add it up to nothing. Jesus plus what you do equals nothing. But Jesus and everything he done for you equals everything. Now, there is a, there, but grace will produce righteous works because that, that will be the fruit of your righteousness. You, you don't have good deeds and fruit and then you, you, get, the, you, know, you get the badge of, I'm, I, I've done good, I'm a, I'm a do-gooder this week. So the Lord's going to take notice. No, he's not. He's no more taking notice of that than he does when he did wrong. Now, you didn't like it as I said that. You, you think I'm preaching heresy. Huh? The Bible says Jesus came and he fulfilled all the law. He said he brought an end to it. He brought an end to it. Hebrew said the first covenant that came through Moses with the Ten Commandments, he said, God said there was fault in this. He said, never wanted this covenant. There's fault in it. That's why he had to bring a second call. He said, so the first covenant has come to an end because Christ instituted a brand new covenant. The way he, he said the first covenant included you had to have priest and you had to go to a place and then you had to bring a goat or you had to bring your best calf. You, you had to bring that calf in. Or you, you, in other words, th all, all this was just going to be a symbol of that which was to come. You, I mean, I know you all know this, but I'm just saying, for the, you know, when you brought in your best, you couldn't bring in a goat and it had an eye, eye gouged out and, a, and a, you know, a lion that it bit one of its legs off. He said, well... I'm going to bring old Gimpy if we got to give something away. That, well, Gimpy ain't going to work because your life is pretty Gimpy. So when everyone went to the high priest, they had to take their best, their very best. What was that going to be a shadow of to come? God was going to give his best, which is what? Jesus. So you had to bring your best. And then what, what happens is you'd bring him to him and then the high priest would be there. And then he would first examine your sacrifice to make sure it was as perfect as it could be. If it was accepted, he said, now place your hands upon the animal. This was to typify what? This was a shadow of what? I'm releasing all of my sin into this animal, which is a, a sacrifice of which one day will be Jesus. And I'm transferring all of my disobedience into him. And because he is the, 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 the lamb or the goat or whatever it is, 
is, is to be, which is now a perfect sacrifice if, if he's not gimpy, right? If he's the best thing that you got. In other words, it cost you something to bring him, right? Well, then now that, the innocence of that animal is transferred to you. But you transfer into him all your guilt, all your shame, all your condemnation, all your jiving and conniving and all the stuff that, that went on. And you do that once a year. Now, everyone that went to the priest was there because everyone had sin in their life. Everyone, everyone has sin in their life. Why do we think that when we're Christians, we'll never have sin in their life again? Sin's not just what you do that's wrong. Sin could be what you do that's right, but you just don't do enough of it. Like, you, you just don't read the Bible enough. Well, I read two chapters. You should have read four. <laughs> well, I got three people saved this week. How come, how come you didn't get 10 people saved? Well, I went to church, you know, eight times this month. Well, there was, you know, you could have come to done some more stuff. Or you could, you know, you, you, the only reason anyone will go to hell, if you, if you just read the scripture, the only reason anyone goes to hell, the only reason, you have to be beyond stupid to go to hell. And I, I mean, really, either someone hadn't preached you the gospel or, or you think that you had this thing figured out. The scripture just tells you the only one who's going go to go to hell was those who don't believe on Jesus. Not for their sins, but Jesus is the answer to sin. So if you took Jesus, he took all your sin. But if you don't accept Jesus and what he did as the payment for sin, then you go pay for it yourself forever. Now, y'all look like a smart bunch. I'm just telling y'all do. How many are you going to take Jesus' sacrifice, what he did for you? Huh? <clears throat> and he said, Jesus said, Jesus knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He said he knew no sin. But he allowed himself to become sin. See, he didn't die for our sins. He died as sin. He became sin. Not, not didn't die for your sins. He became sin. Who knew no sin? Why? So that his righteousness would get transferred back into you. If you believe on Jesus. Just like that, that, that lamb, that goat, whatever it is. I mean, it was pure. And the priest said, perfect sacrifice. Now put your hands on him. And we're going to... And, and, we're going to, this is the transfer of your sin. We're going to put it right here, you know, on the, on the, they're going to sacrifice, they're going to slit its throat because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. There would be a transference typified of your sin into that animal and then the purity of that animal would say that, that, that you're right with God till next year. And the scripture says that God never wanted that kind of covenant. But so now we got a better covenant. He made with Jesus. And the reason why you can't mess it up is because he didn't make it with you. God said, I've been making covenants with man forever. They all break them. But this time I'm going to make one with my son, Jesus. And you can't break it. You can get in on it, but you can't break it. Amen. And if you get in on it, Jesus is Lord forever. And he's not paying attention to all these things. Now, the church has been playing, been preaching for years. I mean, I mean the preacher has got hell hotter than God ever knows it's ever going to be. Huh? And you keep telling people, you better know, you better not. The, uh, the church is the you better not. Instead of you can. If you're looking for a way to sin, there's something messed up with you anyway. Huh? Now, when we accept him, we accept his nature, his love. That love nature's in you. That nature don't want to sin. Here, but, but do we miss the mark? Like Michelle was saying, do we miss the mark sometimes? Then if we go do that, it bothers you. If it don't, see, before Jesus, it didn't bother you. 
whatever it is we were doing, it didn't bother you. If you were smoking a little whatever, or you were taking a little of this or drinking a little of that and seeing this one and, you know, you get three or four houses you show up at, it didn't bother you a whole lot. You know why? Because you were sin. You, you had a sin nature. But now that you accepted Jesus Christ, you don't have a sin nature. That's the reason why it bothers you. That's the reason why you feel guilty. That's why you feel condemned because the righteous one on the inside, you said, that's not right. But even the righteous one is not convicting you of your sin. Do you know what he's convicting you of? Your righteousness. Yes. When you wasn't saved, the Holy Spirit was convicting you that you was wrong, that you needed Jesus. But when you're saved, the Holy Spirit is not convicting you of wrong. He's convicting you because can tell you that's not who you are. You don't have to do that. You have power over sin. You're the righteousness of God. Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. I, that, that, that's just amazing. Glory to God. So, so he, he didn't come to give you a, a victory. He, he came because he is the victory. He, he's the victory. Any behavior or mindset that's not dependent on him, living his life through, comes through the flesh. The Bible says this, to walk in the flesh, well, or to walk in the flesh is to live a a lifestyle that does not rely on Christ or its source. That's what the flesh does. If someone's walking in the flesh, they're living a lifestyle, they're using techniques, mechanisms, doing all kinds of things. They're, they're depending on their ability, their strength to do it. You're now walking in the flesh. If whatever you're doing adds up to being spiritual, then you are in the flesh. But if you say, I can't do this, the Lord's going to say, I know that. I've always known that. When he gave them the Ten Commandments, he told them, y'all can't even keep them. Oh, but we think we can. He says, you can't. But, but we don't want you to judge us. Like, you know, we don't want you to be good to us because you're good. I mean, just tell us what you expect of us. We can do it. He said, no, no, no you can't. <laughs> Exodus 19, he said, no, you can't. You can't do it. We, we, we think we can. He says, okay, okay. If y'all want something, I'm going to give y'all some. I'm going to give y'all something. Moses goes up and comes down, you know, 40 days later. And, you know, he had to go up twice. They couldn't even keep it while it's gone. He brings the Ten Commandments and, and there's no one. He, he said no one has ever kept the, the Ten Commandments. No one. Hmm? You've never kept all the Ten Commandments. No one here has I mean, I know y'all are spiritual and all that kind of stuff. Have you ever lied? You ever told a little white lie? You know, you don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Jesus said, look, he said, if you commit adultery, that's wrong. He said, but that's what he said. But I say, but if you even had the thought of it, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> he said, that's what I'm saying. You can't keep the law. You can't keep the law. Then, you, you know, there's 10 laws, but then there were 613 more other laws called the ceremonial laws. And they do with nutrition and diet and all kinds of things. A, a, a certain day that you couldn't do any, you couldn't do any labor. When, when, when the law came down for the first time, see, there was no law before Moses, but they, they wanted laws. Abraham was never under the law. He was under grace. So when God says, okay, you want law? Here it is, Ten Commandments. And there's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments because they're, they're God's righteous, holy standard. But in your ability, you can't keep them. You can't keep them. God's holy, so his thinking's holy, so his rules will be holy. But he says, but you don't have the ability to keep them yourself. So they got to looking at the laws. And the first man who died, who broke the law, the, the first person who died under the law, all he was doing was, was he was building a fire to cook for his family on the Sabbath day, but you weren't allowed to do that on Sabbath day. And he died instantly from, from, from gathering a few sticks. 
Have you ever broken the speed limit? Ever? That's a man-made law. He, he told us in the New Testament. You know, obey those who have real over you. Have you ever went 75 and 70? Some of you went 85 and 90. Some of y'all went to the governor cut it off. Well, James said, if you're going to live by the laws, you're going to live by regulations, and you want God to bless you that way, then here, here, oh, you can do that. You can do that. James said, you, this New Testament, James said, you can do that, but you need to keep every one of them. But know this, if you ever break one law, if you break one law, you are now guilty of breaking every one of them. So in other words, if you get on the interstate and it says 65, you go on 70, you now have broken law. You're a transgressor. Now you're also a homosexual. You're a lesbian. You're a you're, 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 you know, you're a maniac, you're, you're everything. Either keep all the laws or receive Jesus. See what's good news? Church ain't been preaching good news, have they? Fire to burn! That, that, that really wants to bring them in. They told me that for I got to say, but I already knew that. I, I, I mean, my mother told me that. I mean, she, she told me how it works. I didn't need something on the sign to tell me turn to burn. I, I knew it was going to work out. <laughs> So a manic, depressed Christian, if there is such a thing, a manic, depressed Christian feels close to God when we do things that we feel ex that he expects from us. In other words, someone who's a, a manic, depressive person, they feel comfort and close to God through acts of service. I came to church today. I gave today. I gave an offering. Uh, I helped, you know, in the nursery. I helped do this. I helped do that. I, I cleaned up the parking lot. I, I, I mean, I, I, I did things for God. I, I, you know, I gave blood. Uh, I made some cookies and took to my neighbor. Oh, all those are great and wonderful things. But if you're adding any of, things up, any of those things up to a relationship, they're not. See, it, it's not you. It's him. He doesn't want you to live a life worthy of him. He's already worthy and gave you his worthy life. You are, you are worthy because of him. The Bible says that right now in your spirit, see, that's the problem. I got, I got to keep on reminding you. In your born again spirit, one third of you is totally him. The real you is totally him. And it can't get out because the fetus, he sealed it so nothing could get into it was wrong. So one third of you is not contaminated. What, yeah, that's good. The, 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 you know what the other problem is? This thing right here, the six inches right here, it wants to think this, it wants to think that, it thinks this. You know, and the body gets used to certain things. It's like, uh, how many of y'all, uh, I'll take three of them. <laughs> you go around, you know, to the, to the, uh, to the drive-thru, and she said, would you like, would you like to, uh, what do they call it? Supersize it? I say, well, <laughs> I have the supersized washed-up drink and the thunder fries. The thunder thighs. <laughs> you know, I mean, there you are out there. It's just, I mean, and, and you're not really even seen here at that moment. So you ain't going to see, you probably ain't never going to see the rest of your life. So who cares what she thinks about you? you can judge all you want to. I don't really know you. But now if my wife's in there, you know, I'm not supposed to say that. I said, no, I'll just, I'll just take this small. But when she's out there, I said, big as you got, man, big as you got, big as you got. I said, would you like your ice cream dip? I said, I want the whole bowl, man. I, I don't, don't fool with no little dip in no little thing. Just give me the, take the canister out of your cooter. I'll buy the, just, just, I want all of it. I believe I'm full gospel. <laughs> I, I used to be a lean, mean preaching machine, but now I'm full gospel. <laughs> of his fullness, I am now receiving. Kind of a twist of the scripture, but I mean, so <clears throat> let's finish here. 
Galatians 5, 16 says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. See, we think if our, we could get our flesh in line, then we could have the spirit. He said, no, no, no. He says, walk in the spirit and then you will never fulfill the lust of the flesh. The key to overcoming the flesh is walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit is, is, allow the Holy, is allowing the Holy Spirit to do the walking. Let the Holy Spirit do the walking. Let it be his walk. To provide his ability, his empowerment, his fruit. You ever heard of the fruit of the spirit? Anyone ever heard of the fruit of the spirit? You know what that is? It's just that. It's his fruit. So get your mind off you. Well, I'm not, I'm, let me check for my fruit. No, it's his fruit. Living in you. It's his love. It's his joy. It's his peace. It's his temperance. It's his kindness. It's his goodness. It's just living in you. You're supposed to be fruity. We don't do it by rules and regulations. We do it by focusing on him, meditating on him, abiding in him, and allowing him to live his life through us. We yield to him. We fellowship with him. We enjoy beautiful intimacy through relationship. This is the last thing he said to me last night. And I got up and he said, you're not through. He said, in him we live. In him we move. In him we have our being. It's not by your might. It's not by your power. It's by his spirit, says the Lord. Second Corinthians 3, 5 said, your sufficiency is not of yourself. It's not of you. His peace remains in us as your mind is stayed on him. How are you going to make it? How are you going to fix your problems? I won't. Because I don't have them. I'm not denying them, but I don't have them. Why don't you have them? Because I've cast all the care of all, the, all my care upon him. What am I going to do about it? Ask him if he's got the problem. Remember, remember, the, remember the, uh, the hot potato game? I mean, as soon as you got it, it's about to get out, and then I, don't, I forgot, does a buzzer go off or whoever's holding potato, whatever. As soon as you got that potato, so as soon as the carrot comes, say, not mine. Well, whatever the carrot is, he said, cast in all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, that's not, as, that's not as easy as it says it is. Because you, you have these ideas and emotions and you have people coming to you and they want answers. And they're looking for real answers, right? And then you, you could take these things, then you, you'll, you'll cause all type of stress in your life. It's, it's stress kills people. Then you go to the doctor and they'll ask you, you know, what, do you, what, do you, what are you stressed about? And you'll say, nothing. I mean, I don't know. It's just Tuesday like every other Tuesday. I mean, I had a lady tell me two years ago, she says, well, well this situation, she says, she says, how long have you been pastoring? I said, oh, I'm going on three decades. She said, that's got to be stressful. I said, not really. She said, but you got all people's, your problems and their problems. I said, no, I don't. And she says, you don't? I'm like, uh-uh. She said, well, did anything happen during your birth? And I thought, my gosh, I've heard stories like this. But she wants me to take me back to my mother's womb. She said, was there any problems there that you know of? I said, I don't know. I'm sure mama wasn't that comfortable. <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was cold. It was January 9th in Detroit, Michigan. It was minus nine degrees. I heard when I was born, the car almost didn't crank. I said, I probably, they probably felt some stress. Uh, 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 uh. And I'm glad it cranked. Because they might have pulled me out with post hole diggers. I don't know what they've done. <laughs> she said, but she, she said, well, yeah. she said, well, maybe you've had to deal with a bunch of situations at home. And 
Have you had any friends pass away? Yeah, done a few funerals. She says, so, so you just deal with all these things through years when you're youth, but not, you're, you're not as young as I am. I said, she says, so I think this is all stress. I said, I, well, you can think what you want to. I said, but I, I don't have any care. I don't have no care. You can, you, you can live that way. Huh? So in other words, it, it doesn't mean that I don't care. It, it just means I don't take it. It doesn't mean that I don't have concerns. I don't care about things or people or situations. It just means I don't take it because I'm not, I, I, I don't have the ability to take it. I'm not him. You know how much you talk to him? Well, guess how many more? There's 7 billion people plus on the planet. I mean, that, that's a lot of talk going on. The, God or the word Lord comes up quite often to him all the time. And he can handle all, all of it. Never needs to take a vacation. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. He didn't give you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Isn't it awesome to live that kind of life? So, to finish this, we'll say it this way. I can't live the Christ life, and he already knew that. But he can. He lives his life through me. And when I, and I let him do that, I enjoy the exchange life. How many of y'all are on the exchange? <laughs> So we're just going to cast all of our cares right now in Jesus' name. Father, we just cast every care, every care, every concern, every burden that we have in our, our own lives personally, that we have in our families, whether it be physical, financial, emotional, whatever it is. Father, we just cast all the care in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Man, I don't know how to do this other than just do it. I just um, praise God. There's an audience, you know, hallelujah. There's a good change coming west. There's a good change that's going to cause a geographical change. That's the best way I can say it and decode it. You're going to have a good change come forth. It's going to be increased in promotion, and everybody will be on board in time. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You've exchanged. Hallelujah. You're not even in charge. I said, I'm going to get in there and build myself up this week. Build, 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 build. Get, get, get ready. Cast all these thoughts down. You can't. How are you going to shoot down 6,200 missiles? <laughs> I'm going to say, send them on to the obedience of Christ. <laughs> that away. You know, when you're on the interstate and you're looking to get off to get gas or, or food, right? You know, you know those signs up there that tells you what's on the next exit? Now, if it says Taco Bell, McDonald's, Hardee's, whatever it says, is that where you stop right there where it says to get your hamburger? No, it just points to where it is. You know all we are? We're pointers. <laughs> Casting all my care him. He took them all. If he has the cares, I don't have them. I'm free in Jesus' name. That means I could almost laugh and y'all think I'm crazy. <laughs> oh, they're under some stress. They cracked. Yes, I did. I cracked. They lost their mind. Sure did. Got the mind of Christ. Lost my mind. Got the, the, Bible, the Bible tells you to lose your mind. Get the mind of Christ. Amen. Brother Hagin, you know, wrote a little book years ago. I hadn't read it in a long time. It's called Casting Your Care Upon the Lord. And Miss Aretha, boy, she was upset with him. What, I don't know what they were dealing with, but they, he, was, he pastored 14 years before his ministry started and then, you know, had an international ministry around the world. And... Uh, but anyway, they was pastoring church and they was walking from the church over to the parsonage. 
and whatever was going on, they were dealing with it for weeks. And, and she was she was so mad at him because he just preached something like this, you know, casting to care upon the Lord. And she, she said church was over. And uh, Brother Hagin said he was unlocking the door. And, and Miss Aretha, his wife, said, she said, Kenneth, I, I, I think I, I, don't, I don't even think if we died right now, me and the kids died right now on the on the footsteps of this porch while you unlock the door that, that, that you would care. He said, well, honey, it, I wouldn't. It, it'd be too late if you told me you just died. <laughs> it, it made us so mad. <clears throat> he said, no, you don't understand. I, it's not that I don't care. It's not that I don't concern. I just don't take the care. I don't I don't internalize it. Because it's him living his life through me. What would his life in you do? I'm watching it kill cancer in a young man. Who doesn't know a fraction of what you know. Which helps. Huh? I can just say, we're going to lay hands on you. What for? Let lay hands on me. I mean, that was the answer. I mean, that was the question I got. I said, well, before we go, we'll lay hands on you. Well, Lay hands on you. So what's laying up? Why would you lay hands on me? I said, oh, well, okay, that's right. Uh, there's a scripture in the Bible. that says believers lay hands on the sick and they recover. It does? Yeah. So he says, so look how, far, look how smart someone. He says, so, so, so you're, you're the believer. I said, well, and you are too. He said, but I'm the one who's sick here, right? I said, yeah. He says, so you're going to lay hands on me and pray? I said, yeah, that's right. I'm going to lay hands on you and pray. And the cancer in you is going to die. He says, because I recover when you, when you lay your hands on me. I said, that's right. Well, as soon as I lay hands on you and I pray, he says, then I recover. I said, you, you recover. And he didn't know anything else. So you know what he did? He recovered. Yeah. Within a few weeks, 84% of the cancer has left his body. On the graph, it just says that much to being cancer free. Like, oh, so there's a scripture that says, you, you, you put your hands on me? I said, if that's okay with you, oh, yeah. Put one, one hand here, one hand here, and just spoke to the cancer, told the cancer where, where to go, released the life of God to flow in the body, spoke to the cells to regenerate this and do that, made it real short and simple, took my hands off. He says, so my job is to do what? I said, just, just recover. You, you don't have no job. Just thank him. It's done. Go back for test, major test. Well, they test you at night and you spend the night in the hotel and come and talk to the doctor next morning. I think we showed you all the graph. 84% of the cancer has, uh, has just left. It's just left. Gonna go down there again another week or two. Gonna hit it one more shot and just go ahead and kick it all the way out the door. The doctor says, whatever y'all doing, just do it. I mean, whatever y'all doing, just, just do it. Because we only had two things we could do, and, and none of our two things worked. So whatever y'all doing, you need to keep doing it. Well, we, we, we know what to do. Amen. Look what the Word does when it, when it doesn't get hindered and don't have to go through all these filters. What would Christ do if he could just live his life through you? What, what if Jesus would just went through you and did what he wants to do? Well, when he's here, he, he healed the sick and the lame and the possessed got free. That's what he'd be doing right now if he could just flow through you. If you don't have to go around this, yeah, but like that, mom and them, dad, and all this kind of stuff, yeah, but the government said this and, you know, president so-and-so said that. And all, yeah. What if we could just go through? 
One of the electricians had a mind up there and started thinking, you know, I don't think they need this much light. I don't think we've been this long. I mean, I don't know. It's just like we're in Jimison. We shouldn't have to do all this. It, 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 it just flows. What if Jesus could just flow through you? What if, what, what if you're just a believer and you just, this is going to be deep, but I'll end with something deep. I, I like to end with something a little bit more. This is kind of not the way you should do it, but it's kind of deep right here. What if, what if you just start believing? <laughs> what if you just start being a believer and just start believing? Mm. What if you just read it and said, I believe? What if you just didn't become familiar and have a spirit of familiarity about yourself? It's common, it's ordinary. I know that and all this. Looking for a greater revelation. No, just decide. I, I just believe. What if you just turned your vehicle over to someone if it needed work? I mean, I mean, Nathan's worked on two or three cars for us. You know, we had this happen, that happen, a wreck, whatever. I, if he has it four days or two weeks, I don't wonder if he can do it. I don't, I've never wondered that. I don't go by and check on it three times a day. So, you think you're going to be able to do this? I mean, it's, it's, it's wrecked. It's got a dent in it. He's like, you know, after about two trips, he's like, Pastor, something else you're here for? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, I, mean I remember the wreck. It, was, it, 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 it hit hard. And policemen came. And wrote, they wrote a report. <laughs> I mean, do you think that you can actually take us from here to there? About four, the fourth day, he's, he's like, get this thing out of the shop and get him out of here. <laughs> I'll probably jump to the top of the list. I'll just get out of his shop. <laughs> huh? Well, my wife's cooking. I don't go in and say, do you, do you think you're going to be able to cook this meal? We're going to no, let, let the woman loose. She loves rattling, rattling pots and pans, don't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she loves long horns and uh, apple pans. It's apple pans. We've eaten enough Mexican. We, we should be some. See? <laughs> Comprende. Well, I bless you in Jesus' name. Do you receive that? Yes. You're the believing believer. Yes. You're the, the believing believer. Kenyon, Kenyon wrote a whole chapter on his book called The Unbelieving Believer. He said, they're going to go to heaven. He said, but you know what it is? They never, he says, here's how they're unbelieving. They hear the word but they're never convinced, they're unpersuaded to act upon it. He says, so what they really are, he said, they, the rest of their life, they'll be a spiritual hitchhiker. And they'll say, could you pray and take me to healing? Could you take me to my prosperity? Hey, Pastor, could you pray some peace into my life? They're needing you to take them somewhere that they think they can't get by themselves because they're, they're an unbelieving believer because they're never persuaded to act upon what they heard. And you are not those folks. God, amen. God bless you. In Jesus' name.